The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. Hello and welcome to another episode of Colombia Calling. I'm Emily Hart and this week I'll be talking to Velia Vidal, author, journalist and campaigner working from Chocó. Velia is going to be telling me all about her most recent writing project, a collaboration with the British Museum and the Hay Festival, which brought together 10 of Latin America's most inspiring contemporary thinkers to examine the ways in which we curate narratives of our past through objects and museums. Each writer took an object from the British Museum and contributed a chapter to the book, which is called Untold Microcosms in English and Volver a Contar in Spanish. It's out this month. The English version brings together some of the world's most brilliant translators, including Frank Wynne, who we had here on the show earlier this year, for episode 410. It's an amazing project which raises all kinds of questions about colonialism and power relations, the narrative power of historical objects, the British Museum's right to hold certain artefacts, and the erasure of Afro-Columbian history in hegemonic narratives. Velia herself went to the British Museum in London to see a collection of more than 300 everyday objects from Chocó, Colombia, the region where she was born. Among the baskets, jewellery, bows and arrows, bowls and blowpipes, she found two wooden stirring sticks with the name Otilio written on them. They had been bought along the San Juan River by ethnomusicologists Brian Moser and Donald Taylor, who travelled through Colombia in the 60s and made a collection they labelled Indigenous, though Chocó is one of the most Afro-descendant areas in the Americas. In fact, the British Museum's Latin America collection holds almost no material attributed to black or Afro-descendant populations outside of Brazil and the Caribbean. Velia then returned to Chocó to present meetings with local leaders and councils along the San Juan, asking for their thoughts about the collection, the way it represents the region, and how it could now be meaningfully activated by indigenous and Afro-descendant people. She then wrote this chapter, Otilio, imagining how that object came to exist, how its maker might have lived, and how its displacement from its origin came to happen. At the end of the show, Velia will read us an extract from her chapter, but will also be talking life in Chocó, mermaids, and the inspiration which can come from contact with your homeland, as well as, of course, the sea, which is Velia's foremost muse. All that coming up, but first, your top stories for this week. The Escazú Agreement has, after years of delay, been ratified by Colombia's Congress. It's an international agreement from 2018, so far signed by 24 countries in the region and ratified by 12. 
It has three main missions, increasing access to environmental information, participation in environmental decisions, and protection of environmental defenders. The law will now be examined for constitutionality by the Constitutional Court, which could take six months. After that, it will be signed by the President, and then the agreement will be implemented in Colombia. Despite being Amazonian states with high rates of deforestation and murders of environmental defenders, the governments of Peru and Brazil have not yet ratified the agreement. Around 9,000 people are stuck in Necocli, a town in northwest Colombia, waiting for boats to take them across the Gulf of Urabá from where they will trek through the Darien Gap into Panama. Many refugees and migrants on their way to the United States. The numbers crossing into Panama this year are already around 150,000, thousands more than in the whole of last year, according to Panama's Migration Service. This year's figure includes more than 20,000 children. In 2021, the majority were from Haiti. This year, Venezuela is by far the most common country of origin. Carlos Camargo, the human rights ombudsman for Colombia, is calling it a crisis. Many die trying to cross the Darien Gap due to the dangerous conditions of the territory itself as well as the numerous armed groups who operate in the area. Sexual assault of women is also frequent and Médecins Sans Frontières report that they have provided thousands of consultations from respiratory infections and dysentery to post-traumatic stress disorders. President Gustavo Petro has announced that he foresees a recession in 2023 for the Colombian economy. This is, he says, a result of the global economic crisis and the increase in the interest rates as decreed by the central bank. The International Monetary Fund reported that it expects the country to grow only 2.2% next year, but had not itself referred to recession, though the Colombian peso reached another historic low against the US dollar last week. Meanwhile, the government has reached an agreement with more than 80 companies to reduce electricity tariffs, the Ministry of Energy announced on Wednesday. A total of 952 contracts have been modified with the aim of lowering tariffs by between 4% and 8% by the end of the year. The agreement has been dubbed the Pact for Tariff Justice, carried out with the aim of combating rising energy costs amid a cost-of-living crisis and rising inflation. The director of Colombia's tax authority proposed legalizing and taxing cocaine via Twitter this week in response to The Economist's controversial editorial on the issue. The announcement is, however, in line with Petro's discourse against anti-drug policy. The debate comes on the back of a draft legislative act to regularise the consumption of marijuana, which this week passed for the first time ever to the third debate in Congress. New research by UNICEF has revealed that one in five 15- to 19-year-old girls in Colombia got married in 2020. One in 50 got married under the age of 14. The organization's figures suggest that in 2020, over 375,000 girls and young women between the ages of 15 and 19, and more than 30,000 girls and young women between the ages of 10 and 14, an age at which marriage is not yet legal in the country, were married. The trends have reportedly hardly changed in the last 25 years. 
In Colombia and five other countries in the region, 14-year-olds can marry with parental consent. In Colombia, seven initiatives have been introduced over the last 14 years that sought to eliminate the exception in the Civil Code's marriage law, allowing early unions with the permission of legal guardians. None of those legal projects have gone forwards. A new investigation is to be launched into the disappearance of assets seized from drug traffickers and criminal groups. The government and Attorney General's office decided to investigate after Daniel Rojas, who recently became chief executive of Colombia's Special Asset Society, raised the alarm over confiscated assets that were listed in official documents but whose whereabouts were unclear. Authorities will establish a technical panel to locate around 20,000 missing assets seized from drug traffickers, including large farms, houses, luxury cars, gold, aircraft, boats and cash. The government plans to sell the seized assets to compensate the victims of Colombia's internal armed conflict. Authorities have not yet given a value for the missing assets. Those were your top stories. More next week. Hello, Velia, and welcome to Columbia Calling. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. So exciting to be your first interview in English. Very, very privileged. <laughs> because you have, well, the Charco Press is bringing out a book uh, called Untold Microcosms, which we're going to talk about, which has some of your work in English, uh, translated, I think, by one of their big team of translators. Um, but it's a super interesting project. It's an experiment in which Latin American authors select an object from the British Museum, and that inspires a narrative work. So how did your involvement in that come about? Um, in May 2020, my book, uh, Aguas de Estuario, was chosen a book of the month for Hay Festival Latin America. Um, and in this moment, uh, uh, that's when I got uh, in touch with the Hey team and who proposed me for the list for 10 Latin American authors to participate in the Hey project and the British Museum, Untold Micro Microcosm, in Spanish is Volver a Contar. Um, the Santo Domingo Center of excellence for Latin American research uh, to the British Museum and the Hay Festival uh, proposed me uh, this project. Uh, in this moment, I was in Berlin um, and I, I, I think it's very strange uh, why I, I write about the British Museum and the <laughs> Latin American, but uh, the letter specifically states that is, it was a project to question the relationship between the museum and Latin America. And whatever they say question, I am here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really interesting point, right, is that... Uh, it's the Latin American collection in the British Museum and lots of people have thoughts and feelings about the British Museum having all of these objects that are from other cultures. Uh, but how is it for you? How did you feel when they pulled out the collection from Choco, which is where you're from? 
I work uh, and I explore with uh, the Choco, water, racines, Afro-representation, inclusion, and another terms. And, and I ask it uh, if uh, in the British Museum was anything, uh, an object about the Choco. And was a very, very special surprise when uh, they said to me, uh, one object not. <laughs> we have a collection about the Choco. It's a very interesting collection uh, composed for everyday objects. Um, were by Brian Moser and Donald Tyler. Uh, they came to Choco in uh, 1916, and they... Um, come to the British Museum, this collection. Um, as I was in Europe at the time, the British Museum invited me to see the objects in London. Uh, I, I don't, don't have a visa in this moment, and I applied uh, for a visa in Berlin. And the second week of November, the last year, I was in London seeing uh, and touching the objects. At first, non, uh, really not often caught my attention because the most of them uh, were everyday objects that uh, we still use today in Choco. Yes, and and this is not special, but uh, okay. in in a moment, um, so what caught my attention was a, a rocker with a large wooden spoon use it to mix sweet likes with a panela like B&B and, and other sweets um, and I call my attention attention because the name Otilio was written on the end to the spoon that name was written by hand uh, with blue pencils and for me, it was a symbol of breaking the invisibility of the local persons. Because up to that moment, in everything we had consulted in the collection, only the names of Brian Mosers and Donald Tyler appeared. So that person locals uh, know. Uh, and Otilio by writing his name on the object, left the record of, of a person from the region. I love that. I love that. It's like object graffiti. Um, and I hope to share with permission uh, a picture of this wooden spoon um, because it's, it's also a really beautiful object. So to return to that experience, you after you saw the collection, you went back to Choco to speak to communities and leaders about what you'd seen in the collection. So what kind of a response did you get from, from them? This is a very special because the British Museum in Choco is not important. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and uh, approaching the Afro and Indigenous authorities and telling them this story uh, has been very special because in really it is not something that uh, has a, a much interest in, in them. 
the truth, it, it does the British Museum in, in our context, uh, does not mean anything. And additionally, the communities have a long history of plunder, of relations mm. with research who, who have come to take a knowledge and objects uh, and who do not return anything. Yeah, it's, it's, it's frequently that uh, researchers come to Chocó and um, uh, take photos and, and write, and um, it's not important for the communities because these persons not uh, not returns the uh, information for the people. Yeah, right. They said, no, the, the object to the British Museum is not important, yes. Uh, it's much important for us, um, the books for the child, yes, uh, events about the uh, culture. Um, but I feel that in any case, in a relationship that is just beginning, and that will surely bring us interesting things uh, although not necessary around the objects uh, that, are the, that are in the museum or the rest of the information that I have found around the subjects. Something I found really interesting about, about what you say about the chapter is that the objects are all labelled being from indigenous groups. So there's a collection in, in the Latin America section of the British Museum, which is 62,000 objects, and 300 objects are from Choco, but there's actually very little about Afro-descendant Latino history in Colombia. Um, so how can Afro-descendant communities, particularly in Choco, kind of push back against this invisibilization of their history and their cultures. This is what has happened with the Afro people from the institutions, from literature, from the law, from science, uh, because basically is it the way to sustain a system of subjugations. Yes, it's necessary the invisibilizations for um, the racist system, yeah? Um, this has been the same with the indigenous people, of course. What happened is that the process of political organization and ethnicization for the indigenous people in Colombia is much earlier than the process of political organization and ethnicization for the Afro people. That is why we find that anthropological works in the 60s, which is when Brian Moser and Donald Tyler visited Colombia, focused on studying and collecting objects for, from indigenous peoples. The black people were not understood as an ethnic group, nor did Afro-territorial organization exits. At that time, we also live through what is known as the period of racial silence 
or the might of racial equality, which maintained that after the abolition of the slavery, Afro-Colombians simply uh, became equal to mestizos. Yeah, this led to the fact that no action was taken to include the populations that racism uh, persisted and that uh, there was not a special recognition. This recognition only arrived until the constitution of 1991. One of my favorite quotes, and I just think this is beautiful from from your chapter that you wrote in Untold Microcosms is the question posed, what happens to the things that are carried away and don't come back? And there's a lot of debate at the moment about things coming back, about the British Museum giving back the various things that it took, um, in some cases just stole from other countries. What are your thoughts on that debate? I believe that for the return to the specific situations should be analyzed. Uh, the desire of the people, which is uh, perhaps the most legitimate and what should always be respected. In our case, participating front call, I am convinced that these objects would not exit here, really. Uh, as a museum collection, not only because our view of this object is different, but also because we have not infrastructure or institutions to uh, ensure the conservation and management of such collections. And in this case, uh, I think that it's not necessary uh, to return, but um, it's not equal. Uh, equal in another case. Uh, uh, it is not important in this moment uh, a museum about uh, uh, these objects. Um, I think in will be in another time, in another moment. Uh, in mm. this moment, uh, the Choco have uh, a big problems cultural uh, and social problems and the people not not thinking in in these subjects really mm. so let's talk about otilio which is the name that you found on the spoon and is the character who narrates your chapter which is a reimagination of how these objects were created and how they disappeared from from their moment and and place of creation. So who is Otilio? Otilio is first the name of the spoon. But uh, what I did creatively was to invent Otilio's life and throughout that life to narrate the tensions that were present at that time between the Afro and the natives of indigenous but also to incorporate the questions that a native uh, indigenous myth asks about travelers who go down the rivers and take objects and stories to remote places 
uh, that the natives don't even know the names of. And what was your process for creating Otilio? How did the writing process unfold? Otilio was born in my thoughts, was always in my thoughts. All time I, I thinking about uh, uh, his life, yes, and, and I speak with him <laughs> uh, for two months. All time I, I am, I am uh, thinking uh, in Otilio's, but uh, a day it was necessary uh, right, yes. But in this moment, Otilio was real for me. Yeah, and was a very simple um, process to write because uh, for me, Otilio was real, really. And I suppose back in the 1960s, he was a real person um, who you've brought back into cultural life through this chapter. Um, and Choco is, is where you are from. Um, though you lived in Medellin, um, where I live now, um, for a long time, and then you moved back to Choco in 2015, I think, um, which is how the book Aguas de Estuario was born. Uh, it's a series of letters about uh, moving back to Choco. Um, so how was that experience for you, moving from one part of Colombia to a very different part, your homeland? Yes, I returned to Chocó because I was exhausted from city life, <laughs> really. Uh, I didn't really know that uh, I wanted to do at the time. But I found what I believe is my purpose in life, which is to write and promote reading. I found it with my husband and with the support of several friends to Motete. Motete is an educational and cultural corporation. It is a non-profit organization that promotes reading mainly among children and young people. And it is an organization that has grown a lot of uh, amphilous Uh, with great uh, satisfaction. At the same time, I became a writer. I am journalist and social communicator, and I have been writing since uh, I was teenagers, <laughs> but once in college and in my professional practice, I dedicated myself to writing more technical and pedagogical documents and information for the press. When I returned to Chocó, I rediscovered literature. Peers uh, throwed letters and without uh, relation it. Uh, then I started writing short stories and now I have uh, already written a size, poetry, children's literature and many other things. But it's the, the beautiful story, no? <laughs> that, uh, living in Chocó is not easy uh, and that's another um, problem. But uh, this is the, the beautiful story for me. Right. So your return to where you grew up has been a kind of explosion of inspiration. 
Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Choco is a uh, is my first inspiration, and and I have a very special relationship with the water, uh, with the jungle, with the sea, uh, with the culture. Uh, um this is present all time in my right right mm, mm. <laughs> and so in terms of the cultural organization what are the the strategies for bringing um reading and and books to young people in choco who face a lot of obstacles in in education and in work as well choco is the, is the most poor uh, department in colombia in a place where so much is missing, it's not easy to undertake this type of process. Uh, and we of often reading. So this is a way to break a stereotype. Uh, we have a good reception because anyway, families feel that they also need food uh, for the souls and not just mm-hmm. food for the body. It's only rights. We need rights, and the culture is a right. Yes, mm-hmm. the reading is a right. And what's the the impact then? What have you seen in terms of response from the young people that you work with? The response of the children is incredible. Just a few days ago, we gra- graduated a hundred children as readers. It's, it's a very special uh, uh, graduate, <laughs> only with readers. Uh, they have been in our reading programs for three years and have uh, developed very important communication skills. Uh, we also took uh, 20 children to the Medellin Book Festival, and some of them did not know a city, not uh, traveling a, in a plane, for example. They have had transformative experience. We have a program, a program with almost... Um, 100 children for three schools also developing developing their communication skills really uh, motete is a, a have a extraordinary job uh, and the families uh, are very happy and choco is living a really strong cultural moment and a political one um I wrote about the the statistics for voting and Choco was a hugely important region for the win of Petro y, y Francia in terms of rises in turnout and incredibly high voting patterns for the left. But the residents of Choco still suffered disproportionately under armed group occupation and state neglect. Um, so how does that tension manifest culturally in Choco? Okay, living in Choco is not easy, really. In recent years, the department uh, has experienced the strongest uh, humanitarian crisis, crisis in the last 20 years. What this means culturally uh, is that uh, we have to put our attention on issues that elsewhere are resolved. A few days ago, I went to the San Juan River uh, to several communities 
I brought books and I was remote not only by my research uh, of the objects in the British Museum, but uh, also by the pedagogical works we want to do with the community council. But on that visit, we were stopped uh, by the guerrillas, ELN. I was questioned by someone from another unidentified group. They told me terrible stories. So my, my attention turned only to see how I could get, uh, get out uh, of their imperfect conditions. Yeah. How I could return to without putting myself at risk. And I was absolutely discourage uh, from undertaking cultural initiative symbols how to uh, offer. So uh, it is with everything. Children and young people can concentrate on their studies uh, because, uh, because they, they live in constant risk uh, of death, of uh, being uh, recruited because uh, there is not food in their homes. The conflict uh, completely changes our cultural life. So in terms of, of cultural activities in those areas, how do you move forward? How do you make plans to reach those young people? Uh, really, in this moment, for us, who are not states, the easiest thing to do is not to go to certain place because we cannot mm. put our lives or the lives uh, of the team uh, at risk. It, it's very difficult and, and it's, um, it's a problem, it's painful, but it's the, it's the life in Choco. So what's next for you? After Untold Microcons, uh, is the seller invited me to undertake a new research uh, around uh-huh. the Choco collections. So now I am the main research uh, of a project called Affluentes, uh, mm-hmm. about uh, which I will pl- publish a book uh, the next year, uh, where I narrate, narrate uh, the journey of Brian Moser and Donald Tyler. My oh, wow. encounter with the objects, uh, the audios, and the photographs uh, that they took uh, to uh, unite kingdoms. But I also talk about uh, other travelers and the the relationships uh, that historically have been problematic, yes? Um, Mm. I am also working on a novel that takes place on the San Juan Rivers uh, Mm. on a collection of poems called Cuerpos de Agua, uh, Water Bodies, I think, I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And on... Two children's books that will come over next year. Um, 
week after week I write my column in Cambio Magazine. Mm. Uh, so Nanisi, I wrote on Afro representation in children's literature will be published uh, the next month. Um, and we'll be publishing the next year, Aguas de Estuario will be publishing in English and Portuguese in Brazil. It's interesting you mention Afro-representation in children's literature as one of your projects of the moment, given the big controversy of the last couple of weeks around the black casting of the new Little Mermaid movie and the controversy that's caused in Colombia, in the United States, even further even further outside the reach, uh, the natural reach of maybe a Disney movie. What are your thoughts on that controversy? Okay, uh, just this week I'm going to write my column about it. Of course, there may be a black mermaid, but there is not authentic Afro-representation here. There is a use of skin tone for marketing. Mm -hmm. It's an absolutely superficial and light-hearted affair. But mm -hmm. I talk about that in more depth in my column. <laughs> <laughs> Which I will, of course, share in our subscriber groups and, uh, and translate for you guys as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Velia. It's been so fantastic to have you on and congratulations and really looking forward to uh, all of your upcoming publications. Thank you for you, uh, for this space, for this conversation. Thanks again, Velia. It's been fantastic. Ciao. Bye-bye. <laughs> and now, as promised, an extract from Velia Vidal's chapter of Untold Microcosms, Otilio, translated by Annie McDermott and read by the author herself. Today, I went back to washing the river, wondering where everything that floats past me ends up. What happened to the travelers who never returned? Like the artists who told the black woman to keep still wild, he painted the gnome a canvas, or the very white girls who can rise into the tumble and let some gifts that are still under the table, or like the four senators who said things no one understood and promised building words no one had asked for, or like my dad. What happens to the things that are carried away and don't come back? like my chopping boards, my plate racks, my ladies or the sterile behind my names and the name of my father, Otilio. This episode was brought to you by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean. Since 1967, their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. And also, our other sponsor is BNB Colombia Tours, experts in custom-made travel throughout Colombia. The team at BNB Colombia Tours can provide you with fantastic 
private experiences, creating wonderful memories of Colombia for a lifetime. Check out the website at bnbcolombia.com, complete the free itinerary form, and tell them that Columbia Calling sent you to receive a further 5% off their already great prices. So that's bnbcolombia.com and, of course, latinnews.com. Thank you for everyone for listening. That's us. Farewell. And of course, check back next week. Bye-bye.